there that, uh, if you're looking at the bulletin, that I was going to read all the way to chapter 8, verse 1. We're just going to look at the first 15 verses of, of chapter 6 today. Um, two sermon, uh, one sermon became two, and uh, I didn't think you wanted to sit here and, and listen to two sermons today. Uh, that'd be a little bit much, and uh, so we're going we're gonna to divide it up into two halves, and today we're going to look at Stephen, and then next week we will... Uh, look at uh, what actually I've entitled the sermon, uh, a, a message religious people hate. Today we're going to look at uh, a role model. That's what we should call this. So uh, if I can wake my son up there when he, when he records the sermon to change the title uh, to not the one that's here, but uh, to something, uh, something new, uh, a role model that we can all look to. Well, let's read God's Word from Acts chapter 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and one of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. But we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And of course, we go on. If we were to continue reading, we would hear a long sermon by uh, Stephen that does get interrupted, and he is martyred, the first Christian martyr recorded for us in the book of Acts. But we're just going to look at Stephen today uh, and his character. Basketball great Charles Barkley, uh, an Auburn alum, uh, for better or for worse, uh, I might add. Uh, he was featured in an advertisement campaign in the 90s uh, for Nike, which built on some words that he had said before, where he said, I am not a role model. And uh, you may remember that ad campaign. It was somewhat controversial, and so he explained his point uh, that it was parents and teachers who should be a child's primary role model, not professional athletes. 
And he argued that when a child, uh, when children are encouraged to look up to professional athletes as role models, they they have a they have in, in a professional athlete a role model that 99% of them uh, will not be able to follow because not everyone is physically gifted enough to be a professional athlete, and only about one percent of the population. Uh, ever becomes uh, a professional athlete if you combine all the sports in the world. So maybe he had a good point because role models are important. How do we live our daily lives day after day uh, in an exemplary way? We should pick our role models wisely. And it's not just because they can dunk a basketball. Barkley went on to say there are lots of guys in prison who can dunk a basketball, and you wouldn't want them as role models. I think he had a good point. But in our text today, we have a role model in the person of Stephen to which we can all aspire. I'm confident of this because what was admirable about Stephen was not his natural ability, but his character. And Stephen's character was specifically a product of Jesus Christ's influence upon him. The man he was, he was because of Christ and the impact Christ had in his life. Stephen had experienced a real transformation of his life by Jesus Christ, and that's what's promised to anyone who calls upon Jesus. Let's talk about several of those characteristics today, uh, which are highlighted in this text before us, and see how Jesus Christ made Stephen the man he was. Now first, uh, well, I've got four things here, and, and the last two we'll take as a group. But uh, first we'll see that he was full of faith. Secondly, that he was uh, full of the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly and fourthly, together, he was full of grace and full of power. And there are other things as well that we could list here about his character but we're going to take those uh, four things today because they, they speak to us and uh, uh, will encourage us in our faith as well. Well, first, in verse 5, Stephen is singled out as a man who, you know, amongst the seven who are chosen to work with the, the widows in the Jerusalem church, he is singled out as a man who was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And we'll look, first of all, at this, this first characteristic, that he was full of faith. What is faith? Uh, it's a word, obviously, in church that gets thrown around a lot, but what is it actually? Hebrews 11.1 1, uh, famously describes faith as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's, it's assurance of things that have been promised. This is, it's, uh, as I often say, hope, uh, Christian hope is not wishful thinking, you know, it's not just saying, I, I hope that, that I get a, a new car when it's not likely that you're going to get a new car. Uh, it's not that kind of I hope, uh, but it is a promise of the future that's secure that we're resting in that is, that is going to come to us, and that's what we're living for. And so therefore we say that's our hope, uh, something that we know is going to happen. We don't know when. Uh, we don't know how long it's going to be, but we wait for it. We look forward to it, and it influences the way that we live. Faith is the assurance of those things that we hope for. 
Uh, it's it's a, a firm belief that those things are coming. It's a conviction of things not seen. We believe that one day Christ is going to return and there's going to be a new heavens and new earth and, and sin and death will be, will be gone. We believe those things and we look forward to those things as Christians. See, a conviction of things not seen. Or it could be things in the past. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say, uh, you know, we by faith we believe that God created everything out of nothing. We believe that. And even though we, we can't see it, we weren't there, we believe it. And that has an influence on uh, the, what we think about creation, what we think about the world uh, and, and who we are in the world. It, it has a great impact as you work out all the implications of it. But as you go on and read in chapter 11, it speaks of uh, a, a hall of fame of faith, if you will, as many people have styled it. And uh, we see that the people there are commended for their living in light of certain things that they couldn't see uh, or things that they had been promised that had yet to come to fruition. And these things made an impact on their lives and they lived in light of those things. For example, Noah was told a great flood is going to come and the world is going to be judged. And, and uh, so Noah saved you and your family by building an ark. See, he had to believe what God had told him was true and he acted upon it. He didn't just say, okay, uh, I believe what God said and then did nothing. See, that would not be faith. That would just that'd be stupid <laughs> because he's going to drown, he and his family. But he shows faith by acting on something that he couldn't prove, uh, but he was a preacher of righteousness, Peter tells us. And so he was telling everybody around him, nobody else believed what he was saying. They didn't embrace it. But he and his family were saved because he believed God and he, and he acted upon what God had told him. Abraham was told to leave his home and just pack it up and go. And God said, I'll tell you where you're going once you start going. Uh, I'll tell you where your destination is once you set out on the journey. And so Abraham had to do that. He had to go uh, get, get, uh, get his things gathered together and his family gathered together and set out and he didn't know where. And he ends up going thousands of miles away to the promised land. And there God blessed him greatly. Moses is lifted, uh, listed there. He left the treasures of Egypt, it tells us there. They were all at his fingertips. He was uh, an adopted child of Pharaoh's daughter. So he had, had access uh, to all that royalty would give him. But it says there that he left those things behind and followed God and suffered reproach with the people of God because he thought that was greater than, than all the treasures of Egypt. He was looking for the reward. He was looking for what God was, had promised him. He knew that the treasures of Egypt were passing. You can't take it with you when you go. But what God promises is something greater. And that made a complete difference in the way that he lived his life. He could have been a, a royal person within the court of Pharaoh. But he left that all behind because of faith. They had a conviction of things not seen, so they lived in line with these convictions. They had assurance of things promised by God for the future, and they pursued those promises instead of instant gratification, which is what many of us are looking for today. We want it now. We want something that we can put our hands on, we can experience in the, in the now. Uh, but these people look forward to something greater something abiding and eternal that nothing 
this world, uh, that nothing in this world is. Nothing is abiding and eternal in this world. It's all passing away. These people were full of faith. Stephen was full of faith. He was all about Jesus because he believed in Jesus. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the promised one. He believed in the sacrifice Jesus had made for sin. He believed that Jesus defeated death by rising from the dead. He believed Jesus ascended to heaven and was seated at the right hand of the Father. He believed that Jesus was going to return someday and bring to fruition all the promises he had made to redeem his people, to renew all things. He believed these things. Therefore, he spoke of them with conviction. And he gave his life to live it out and share it with others. So he was full of faith. Those things that he believed, he acted upon. He lived in line with the truth of it. So Stephen is a good role model for us because he's full of faith. How can we be full of faith like Stephen? Well, the Bible tells us that faith is a gift from God. Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. We should ask God for faith. It's as simple as that. Ask God to increase our faith. And he's given us means to do so. The means of grace, we call it. Uh, the Bible, God's Word. We have that at our disposal. We have the sacraments, baptism, and the Lord's Supper, uh, which are seals, signs and seals of Christ and all his benefits to us. It confirms something to us when we, when we participate in the Lord's Supper or baptism. Something is uh, sealed, authenticated. All the promises of Christ are, are sealed for us, confirmed to us when we participate in the Supper. And it gives us assurance of those things that God in Christ has done for us. And if, and if we are not reading and studying God's Word on our own and in community with other believers, then we should not be surprised if our faith is struggling, if our faith is waning, if we are not spending time in His Word and in prayer as well, uh, another means of grace. So we have opportunities all around us to, to grow in our faith, to strengthen our faith. In Mark chapter 9, there's a, an account where uh, a father comes to Jesus with a son who is possessed by a demon. And the, the demon is trying to destroy the child. And the, the man comes and he's, he's uh, pleading with Jesus, Jesus, have compassion on my son. And Jesus encourages the man to have faith. And the man cries out, I believe, help my unbelief. And that's a great prayer for any of us who are struggling with our faith. I believe, Lord, I want to believe, I, I do believe, but maybe my faith is not what it should be. Maybe my, my faith is not as deep and as strong. And, and unlike Stephen, I'm, I'm not full of faith. Help my unbelief. God is the one who gives faith. If we, if we aspire to be full of faith like Stephen, then go to Jesus and pray. I believe, help my unbelief. Not as a mantra, not as just a prayer that we would repeat, but as an affirmation that you want to have a stronger faith, but you know you cannot do it on your own. Remember that faith simply isn't 
an assent to a list of facts. You know, we recite the Apostles' Creed. We say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And we, we say we believe that. We are assenting to some facts. But do we really believe it? Do those facts make an impact in our lives? When we say we believe in Jesus Christ, uh, conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered, died, was raised again, does that make a difference in the way that we live our daily lives? Or is it just a list of facts that we assent to uh, on the occasional Sunday morning? Do we believe that he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and one day he's going to come back and judge the living and the dead? Now that fact should make you live your life very differently. That at any moment, Christ could return and then there's going to be a day of judgment when we will have to answer for the things that we've done in this life. And do we believe in the holy Catholic Church, the universal church, that, there's, that God has gathered a, uh, his people to himself and they are uh, joined together in a church, in an assembly. And from week to week, we represent that in this church. Do you believe in the communion of saints? That it's important that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. If you do, then come to church. Be here. If you really believe it, come to church. Come to prayer meeting tonight. Get involved in a Bible study. I love Sergeant York. You know, Sergeant York was kind of a hellion. And if you look at the, the picture that was made in the 40s, Gary Cooper stars as Sergeant York. Walter Brennan is his pastor, Pastor Pyle. And uh, Sergeant York gets converted, becomes a Christian, and he starts reading the Word. And he teaches it in Sunday school. And uh, he's having a conversation with Pastor Pyle in one scene where he says, the, you know, the book says this, and I'm going to live by the book. And Pastor Pyle turns to him and says, Well, I see you got the using kind of religion and not just the meeting house kind. What a great statement. Because a lot of us have the meeting house kind of religion. It looks good on a Sunday morning and we say the right words and, and uh, we uh, are good moral people. But do we have the using kind of religion that makes an impact in the way that we live our lives moment by moment? Do we believe in God and Christ, the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ, in the resurrection of the body, the life? Do we believe those things? Stephen did. Stephen did. He was full of faith, and that makes him a role model for us. We know it because we see it in his life, the fruit of it. What about us? What about you? Uh, are you bearing the fruit of someone who truly believes? Or is it something that you just say? Well, second of all, Stephen was full of the Spirit. Um, verse 3, verse 5, verse 10, all three mentioned that Stephen was a man full of the Holy Spirit. When a person becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, comes to dwell in them. He takes up residence in the Christian's life. Derek Thomas says, all of God's work in us is done by the ministry of the Holy Spirit as Christ's personal representative agent in our hearts, drawing our hearts in the direction of our Savior. So all the work that's making us 
what God wants us to be is being done by the Holy Spirit living in us. The Spirit enlightens us, helps us to see uh, the truth. He uh, regenerates us, brings life to where there was spiritual death. He leads us into holiness. He's chipping away the, the sin and drawing us to Christ. And He gives us gifts for ministry. Those are some of the things to do that, that the Spirit does for us in our lives. Ephesians 5 tells us, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, he, he's using that as an illustration. When someone is full of wine, they're under the influence of alcohol. Uh, you know, you've seen it. They've, they're not themselves. They, uh, they do crazy stuff, and, and they're not in control, and they may not even the next day remember what they did. They're controlled under the influence of alcohol. Paul is saying we should be filled with the Spirit. We should be under the influence of, under the control of, the Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with God, and to be filled with God means that we are under His influence, under His control. Paul, goes, Paul tells the Galatians, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for, those, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. In the Christian life, we have three enemies. The flesh, our own sinful lusts, the, the, uh, the old ways that haven't quite been put to death yet, the old nature. We call it the flesh. That's what Paul calls it. Calls it. There's the world, the world around us with all of its temptations. And then there's the devil. The first and closest enemy we have is the flesh because it is us. You know, we have seen the enemy and he is us, the old cartoon says. Our own worldly desires. If we lose the battle with the flesh, then we will never even engage the world or the devil. Because if we're losing the battle with the flesh, then we're going to look just like the world. And the world will not be able to distinguish us from itself, and therefore the world will love us. Because... We're just like the world. But if we are walking in the Spirit, if we are under the control of the Spirit, we will not be fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and we will not be worldly, and therefore the world will not like us, because we will be different from them, and we will be a threat to them, to their sinful ways. And then, of course, if we're giving in to the flesh constantly and we're as worldly as anyone, then the devil doesn't want to be bothered. I mean, he doesn't have to be bothered with us. He's already got us. If the devil, well, the devil, first of all, is not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know all things. Uh, you know, he, he is limited. He's got, uh, he's got better things to do than to mess with somebody who's already very worldly and who's living in the flesh. He's got other people to conquer, people who are full of the Spirit, people like Stephen. And that's exactly what we see happen with Stephen. Stephen was full of the Spirit. He didn't give in to the flesh. He was all about Jesus, and that even shined through in his face. He had the face of an angel. He was so full of God, it just oozed out of his pores, and everyone could see it. And it was in the way that he spoke. He spoke with the Spirit, and they couldn't withstand his arguments because he was so full of God. And the world did not like it. 
And so they killed him. Same is true with Jesus Christ. The world hated him. The devil instigated uh, people to rise up and to accuse him falsely. But if we're giving in to the flesh, then the world and the devil doesn't have to be bothered. That's why Stephen is a role model for us, because he was full of the Spirit. The Bible tells us as Christians, we ought to be putting ourselves under the, under the uh, control of, of Christ and his Holy Spirit, and to do the things that Christ would want us to do, to submit to him in all things. Stephen was doing that, and we are called to do that as well. Now finally, full of grace and full of power. Take these together very briefly. Um, Stephen was full of grace. He experienced the grace of God, and uh, therefore it overflowed from his life into others' lives. And that's just the principle I want to highlight there on that one. Uh, We talked about it last week or the week before. If we've experienced God's mercy, then we should show that same mercy to others. If we have been forgiven, if if we have a grasp of the great debt that has been wiped out by Christ, if we understand that, then we're not going to hold it against others who have uh, sinned against us. We will show mercy. We will show graciousness. And Stephen was full of grace. He, He was engaging people with this message of forgiveness through Christ, of the grace of Christ, because he had experienced it, and it was just coming out of him. He was, he was sharing it with others. He was full of power as well. He was doing signs and wonders, and, and it wasn't because he was so great. Christ was using him to do it. When the disciples uh, healed the lame man, uh, and they're dragged before the council, Peter and John says, uh, this was done by Jesus. They give credit to Jesus. Peter didn't say, yeah, you know, yeah, I raised him from the, you know, I got him up and walking around. It was no problem. I'm empowered. No, he said, Jesus healed this man. So that Stephen and, and like, I'm sure, was giving the credit to Christ because the power was Christ's power. Jesus Christ used people like Stephen and the disciples. And you and me, he uses to do his work. He empowers his servants. He's asked us to do something, to make disciples, to be his witnesses. He's given us a gift to use. He's given us the power to be who he wants us to be. Now, grace and power. Within Stephen, there was this unique blend uh, of things. These are mentioned together, full of grace and power. Um, two seemingly opposite qualities. We, we think uh, of someone being very gracious as someone who is compassionate and sensitive and peaceful. But on the other hand, someone who, is, who has power, uh, we think of someone who is forceful and bold and forthright and direct. Stephen had both of these. They're both mentioned here, so how can they hang together? It was because of the Spirit. The Spirit of Christ. Because the Spirit, uh, the Spirit of Christ, uh, because Christ is both a lion and a lamb. He's described as. So Stephen was Christ-like. Humble boldness. Gracious, but forthright. And only the gospel can produce this in the life. If we're saved by our works, if it's how good we're doing, we'll be bold when we're having success, when we're living up to the standards that we've set, that we think we've got to attain to earn God's favor. You know, Then we'll be 
proud and bold. But if we're falling to those standards, if we're not meeting the standards, we can be humbled, but we certainly won't be bold. But the gospel tells us that we're helpless sinners, that we're broken. That creates a humility in you that should never go away. But on the other hand, we're completely accepted in Christ through his life, death, and resurrection. And that gives us an assurance, a boldness that should never go away. It produces grace and power in our lives. So Stephen knew the gospel, but he also demonstrated the the character that the gospel produces uh, in the life when you understand uh, your, your own sin and God's grace together. They create a person of grace and power. And we see it coming out. His face was like the face of an angel. He was a man just overflowing with God, and therefore uh, he was a role model to us, full of faith, full of the Spirit, full of grace, and full of power. Who's your role model? As we close out, who is your role model? Ultimately, for the Christian, it should be Christ. Since, as Paul says, Christ is being formed in us, we are, we are becoming like him as the Spirit works in us. People like Stephen can serve as role models because they were Christ-like. And now Stephen is Christ-like when he is, as he's now died, and he is with the Lord in heaven. And he is left this sinful world and he is being perfected. He has been perfected. He just waits for the glorified body to come when Christ returns. May God help us to choose the right role model and exhibit these qualities. And it's something that we can't do on our own, but it only comes as we come to Christ and seek that. Let's pray together.